football. Championship football. Trying to show these boys how we really get down, man. 16 weeks. Let's go. Thousands of hits, catches, tackles, kicks, passes, and blocks. A lifetime's worth of blood and sweat. All poured into a 60-minute, bone-crushing, adrenaline-fueled battle of bodies. Welcome to Go for the Two. Go for the Two. With Yahoo Sports Radio college football analyst Joe Lisi and former Georgia Bulldogs wide receiver Corey Allen. Corey Allen. Right, let's rock and roll. Yeah. Huddle up. Here's Joe and Corey. Great to be back on this Saturday edition of the show. It doesn't get better than this. We're talking college football front and center stage. I want to welcome in my co host. He's a former big play wide receiver in the SEC, Corey Allen. Corey. It's a Saturday edition, but we're chomping at the bit, waiting for week number one of the college football season. I tell you what, Joe, everything is in place. We've got all these matchups that are really uh, going to help to determine who's going to stand tall at the end. And, you know, every week is going to create new opportunities for teams to step up and for guys to separate themselves. So it, it doesn't matter how far away we are from it, Joe. You know, the tension is really high right now. We're all extremely excited. Uh, again, matchups create opportunities, and kids really come out and shine when those opportunities present themselves. College football is a great environment, and I'm excited to talk about the matchups that we're wanting to feature today, only because you never know who's going to come out, Joe. Everybody's really shooting for that playoff position, trying to make that Final Four at the end of the season, and you got to start somewhere, and why not week one? When you talk about these week one matchups, we touched on about six or seven in previous shows. We're going to touch on three more today, Oklahoma and Houston, Baker Mayfield, Bob Stoops. A lot has been said about this team possibly being a playoff contender. They got there last year, dropped the game to Clemson in Miami. Can they duplicate the 2015 success remains to be seen. And then another great matchup. Texas A&M and Kevin Sumlin, can they make strides within the SEC West this year? Take it on Josh Rosen and the UCLA Bruins with Jim Moore Jr., a dynamic matchup for week number one, Pac-12 and SEC. And then a, a great matchup taking place in Austin, Notre Dame and Texas, a rivalry, to say the least, last year. Notre Dame did win 38-3, to but they've had some great games throughout the years. I remember one in 1996 where Notre Dame won 26-23. to You're talking about two story programs kicking off the week number one of the season. Doesn't get better than that for me and for college football fans across the country. Before we transition to those games, though, I want to give a shout-out to today's sponsor, SickShades.com. That's Sick. S-I-K-K, Shades.com. These are sunglasses made by Eddie Bauer, Jr. Fantastic styles throughout, from kids through adults. I mean, any type of style or need, check it out today at SickShades.com. Enter promo code go for the 2 and get $20 off your order. And then Alexander Anton. Corey, you know I love to wear shirts. These are great <laughs> custom-made shirts. I'm telling you, I wore one. For Mother's Day, I told you, but these are custom-made. You can pick your style. You can pick your color. You can pick the interior. Guys love it. It's a great type of club shirt or going out. They're made in the U.S. of A., so check that out at AlexanderAnton.com. That's AlexanderAnton.com. But 
Corey, I mean, when you look at the landscape of college football, we've had some great games in the playoff. I mean, to see the way these games and teams have gotten to the playoff in the first two years, really incredible. And, and when you look at this year's slate of week one games, I mean, teams really need to start fast to get the momentum going because it's make it or break it right from the opening belt. That's the important part about college football right now. With the environment, as far as that playoff situation at the end of the year, it really makes more uh, – actually, it makes each game more important regardless of the week. So you really – we won't see as many of those cupcake matchups. Of course, each team is going to probably have at least one time where they're going to uh, match up against a team that's really not ready for their power. But really, uh, I'm excited because from week to week, Joe, each team that really – wants to compete for the championship, is going to have to face a formidable opponent. You cannot walk into the game on Saturday looking at an easy situation because uh, the best part about these schedules is that the strength of schedule uh, the strength of schedule is going to be a very important factor as far as, you know, who calculates showing up at the end. And that's really uh, the main reason these colleges, these universities, these coaches have had to take a look at the scheduling and really make it a lot more Uh, a lot more imposing, make it a lot tougher, not just because they want their fans to enjoy that environment, but they also want those teams to have an opportunity to play in that second half of the season and compete for a title. So it's really a great time in college football because with these new dynamics, it does force a lot more great matchups, especially early in the season when we're accustomed to seeing big-time university against a small school from the east or the west coast really we've got more matchups versus the the big names, and that's what's going to separate the cream of the crop because, again, the coaches want to give their players a chance to compete for the championships, and the only way to do that, Joe, is to make that schedule uh, tough enough for the nation to respect it. Well, when you look at a team like Houston with Tom Herman, I mean, you can't, I mean, 14-1 and one last year, they dominated Florida State in the bowl game. Now a lot has been said about this team possibly being the dark horse for the 2016 season as the playoff contender. They need to run the table. They have some tough matchups on their schedule. They play teams like Cincinnati, Memphis, and Louisville, but they kick off week number one against Baker Mayfield in Oklahoma. How much does the previous season, in your opinion, play into possibly a factor whether a team makes the playoff run or not. Like, I mean, like I'm saying, we're kicking off 2016 now, and everybody's talking about Tom Herman and Houston because of last year's success. How much does that play off into maybe getting an inside track when at the end of the year you're looking at the body of work of previous teams? To be honest, Joe, I think that's a very important factor. When you look at a team's success from the previous season, especially when you consider the turnover on that team, because those players have had a chance to learn a lot from the success of the year before, and I think that's really going to be a great benefit to Tom Herman and that staff because those players are really going to be accustomed to playing in spotlight games. They're going to be accustomed to that limelight, and they should not be afraid of the moment. And that really plays into uh, a great deal When you look at any team that's going to be highly regarded coming into the season, you must have had some success the year before. You have to have a platform to build from, and that's what 2015 gave the Houston Cougars. They really have a lot that they can gain from last year when you look at the play on the field and the knowledge that they acquired from those competitive matchups. They beat up on some really good opponents, 
So coming into 2016, they really should have high expectations. Any team that has the success that they saw in 2015 and then they have the turnaround for the 2016 season, you really have a great opportunity in front of you, primarily because the coaching staff did not turn over, which was a big key for Houston because a lot of the teams that didn't have head coaches, and I speak for my alma mater, the University of Georgia, a lot of teams who didn't have head coaches were interested in trying to pull Tom Herman from that staff, and they weren't able to do so. So really a big get for Houston to keep Tom Herman in the, in the fold, and at the same time to have that continuity from last year to this year I think it really puts them in a strong position to maintain that level of success. He's had a great uh, a great chance to recruit from that season last year, so he's brought in new players to the fold that really should be a higher caliber player than, than you know the previous staff was able to bring in. I think it's really a great time for Houston. I think they're they're right on the cusp, and when you have the success that they had last year, you got to do your best to take advantage of it, Joe. You got to do what you can to put your best foot in front of you because you have to build from it. Otherwise, you're taking a step back, and that's the last thing those fans in Texas really want to see from the Houston Cougars. So I think it's a great opportunity for any team, when you've had success the season before, to try to use that as a building block, as a platform to the next year, especially when you have the same staff and the the majority of the same players who are ready to take on that challenge. What's interesting about Tom Herman and, and what I saw, what he had to say about how his team built the program, he got there and he really took control of the, of the program. And, and they've had success previously. I mean, they were on the cusp. They got to bowl games and they, they were, you know, a middle of the tier team. But to have the run that they did last year, they interviewed him and they said to him, what did you do? And he said, I locked the program, meaning the, locked the locker room doors and said to every athlete, you're not allowed in until you, you buy into the program, until you are a Houston Cougar. He goes, and what we have here is we have love and we have respect from everybody within this you know, organization, from the coaches down to the players. And he said, it's not like, it's not like leaning in, hey, love your dog, hey, love you. He actually said this, Corey. He's got a video of it. He goes, I don't mean love like that. He goes, I mean serious love where you care about your teammate. You care about the guy next to you. He goes, because when you're, you're playing a game four quarters and when you're down and, you're, and you need that guy next to you to buy into you and to believe in you, he goes, we, anybody that doesn't love every member of this team will not, be, will not be allowed in the locker room. And that's what him and his coaching staff did to sort of win back that team. I guess they were, were bought into the program as a whole, and that's what he did. He chained the locker room doors and said, until you can prove to me that you bought into me and this program and your teammates, you won't be a Houston Cougar. And I want to get your thoughts as a former big-time player in a major school like Georgia, how does that affect the players and the mentality? Because that can really show me why these kids really had a run like they did last year, 14-1, and and to dominate a team like Florida State in the bowl game. I mean, you can't take away from that. Well, there's always a different formula everywhere you go, but the main thing that you just mentioned, Joe, is the buy-in part that Tom Herman was really trying to get his players to understand um, that success last year, I'm sure it was built on something. And if it was built on the fact that he locked the doors and forced those guys to, again, buy into what was going on in Houston, you know, that's always going to be an asset because what he's really 
he's really done is he's forced his players to grow together. He's asked those guys to continue to sacrifice for the man beside you and to make sure you love that guy next to you because you're going to have to compete with each other in the fall in some very difficult circumstances. So as a player, when your coach puts you in that position, it really forces the team to bond together. You know, sometimes you want to bond away from the football field, and that's what brings the team closer. So if he doesn't let you in the building, you've got to get with those guys on your own time. You've got to go out and build that rapport without having somebody watch over you, which is going to help you grow as an individual, as a player, and as a person. So I think it's a great method. You know, everyone is going to have a different method to try to bring the team closer. But what Tom Herman did last year is he forced his guys to look in the mirror and ask themselves the question, am I ready for what it takes to compete on a high level? And it was good that they were able to answer the bell because that's really a tough call for a young man to answer. You know, big team, little me, that was a theme that I can remember when we were at the University of Georgia as players, and it really stands tall to this day. The common goal has to be bigger than your individual uh, aspirations, and that's what I think any team's success is going to be built on. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to rely on that man next to you. Nobody can do it all by himself regardless of how good you are. I mean, even if we transition over to another sport, just thinking about basketball and Michael Jordan and how he said, get me John Paxson, or how he had to have Steve Kerr, or how he demanded Craig Hodges be available because he knew he needed a shooter. But the only way you go about that is developing that rapport, competing in tough environments, and understanding that it takes more than just you to win the game. So that team concept is really important. Tom Herman did a great job instilling that in those young guys last year. And I think it paid off, and it shows with the success that the Houston Cougars were able to enjoy because it was unprecedented for the university, and it's a great way for them to platform into 2016. Well, they could start really in a big way week number one against Baker Mayfield in Oklahoma. This is a marquee matchup. I'm sure a lot of now expectations on this Houston Cougar team where last year they were under the radar. I'm sure they were playing with a chip on their shoulders saying not a lot of people believe in us, and that's what they carried into that bowl game domination of Florida State. They forced five turnovers in that bowl game, really shut down Dalvin Cook in the rushing attack. Florida State only had 16 rushing yards in that bowl loss. But when you look at this matchup with Baker Mayfield and Oklahoma, here's a team in Oklahoma, Corey, last year they lost two games. They lost to Texas in the Red River rivalry, and they lost the playoff game to Clemson. In both of those games, the Oklahoma offense scored 17 total points. In both of those games, the offense rushed identically for 67 yards in both of those games, 67 against Texas, 67 against Clemson. Defensively in both of those games, they gave up 312 yards to Texas rushing on the ground, and they gave up 313 to Clemson in the, in the playoff loss. I mean, that's eerily, when you look at it, they could not run the football, and they failed to shut down the run. And you could say that that's why they lost both of those ball games. They're going to be going up against a mobile quarterback in Greg Ward Jr. And both of those quarterbacks last year, Gerard Hurd for Texas and Deshaun Watson for Clemson, were mobile quarterbacks. So this is not an easy game for Oklahoma right out of the gate. I want to get your thoughts about that. And do you feel like Bob Stoops needs this season to really get him over the hump? Do you feel like pressure's on Bob Stoops? Can't take away what he's done. But in big ball games now, his team really hasn't responded against the better teams from the Power Five. 
I agree with that. Bob Stoops has uh, he's he's got a lot that he still would like to prove. I do not think he's he's on the hot seat right now. I think he's done a lot at Oklahoma. He has the tradition right back where it really should be as far as competing for uh, not just a conference title, but be, being in the discussion for a national championship hunt. Uh, just looking back at last year in the Oklahoma schedule, Oklahoma did extremely well. Just as you mentioned, they they only lost those two games, and those were two uh, very tough. Uh, Saturdays that they had to play on, you know, playing against a, a rival like Texas, uh, that's always going to be a tough matchup. So even though uh, Texas may not have been highly regarded coming into that matchup, you know, that's a matchup where both uh, teams know each other very well. Both teams really have no fear walking into that Red River shootout. So it's really it's a toss up either way, and that could have gone to Oklahoma, you know, uh, very easily, even though it was probably out of hand for Texas very early in the game. But at the same time, looking at Oklahoma's second loss to Clemson, a tough matchup in the playoff. They made the college football playoff. They were one of the better teams in the country, so you can't take that away from them. But they did have a disappointing showing against the Clemson Tigers. And I think Oklahoma's really going to do their best to get that bad taste out of their mouth. That's the last game that they played last season, as great as they were, as great as Baker Mayfield is and as good a coach as Bob Stoops is and as good as that defense continues to be, they have a nasty taste in their mouth from that last game against Clemson, and that's really what everybody remembers about Oklahoma. So I'm sure this offseason has been built upon getting back on the right track of winning. And and facing a mobile quarterback is really tough for any defense because you, it's hard to account for that guy and what he can do outside of the pocket on a passing play, whether he's going to run or pass. And just as you said, Greg Ward Jr. over at Houston, He's a guy that's really going to do everything he can to win the ball game. He has an arm and he has a leg. So Oklahoma is going to continue to be in a tough spot as far as facing a mobile quarterback. But it's not a position that they should be uh, unfamiliar with. It's not a position that they should be scared of. Uh, this is a strong unit at Oklahoma. Bob Stoops, again, I don't think he's on the hot seat, Joe, because he recruits well every year. And he's coming into this season with another great opportunity in front of him and his team. So, this is really a good time for Oklahoma to sit back and take a look at what caused them to lose those games last year. Why did they uh, why did they give up almost 200, 300 yards rushing to Texas and, and to, at the same time in their bowl game to Clemson? And, you know, why did they struggle on offense running the ball against those opponents, and what did they do to hinder that? They're going to have to really look at the film and find out, you know, what did those two teams do, especially against them, to hold up that offense. And I really – I really think Baker Mayfield is going to be the key factor in this game. He's going to have to convert on third down, and he's going to have to keep his offense on the field because Greg Ward and the Houston Cougars have no shame about getting in the end zone. So it's a tough matchup on both sides, especially when you consider where Oklahoma was last year and coming into a clean slate this year. They've got a lot to go into Houston and face. They're going to be going on the road. Houston will be really in a home-cooked environment, playing in their city. So I don't see – well, Oklahoma, Oklahoma is going to have a big margin for error, Joe. They're going to have to come into this game really understanding what cost them those two games last year and really with an opportunity to highlight their offense this season because I don't know how strong Houston's defense is going to be, but Baker Mayfield will test them with his arm and his legs. Great points all around, and I really feel like it's a make-it-or-break-it month in the month of September if you're an Oklahoma Sooner fan, you better start fast because if you're not going to start fast this season, you could be in trouble. It could be a very disappointing season. We talked about the Houston game in week number one. They then faced UL Monroe in week number two. Okay, it's an off week. 
Week three, Corey, Ohio State and Urban Meyer coming to Norman. Follow that up. On, that's on September 17th. They then get two weeks to prepare for TCU. Then the week after that is the Red River rivalry on August 8th. Follow that up with Kansas State, Texas Tech. They then play Kansas and Iowa State. And then the month of November is not easy. Baylor, West Virginia, and Oklahoma State. So if you're picking Oklahoma to possibly go through back to the college football playoff, it is not going to be an easy ride because that month of September will really dictate the season. And I don't think it's going to be an easy easy road for Oklahoma. I'm sorry. I just don't. When you look at the schedule, you look at the matchup problems, I think they might be able to dominate Houston. That's just me on paper, week number one. But I really feel that Ohio State matchup at home could be a tough, tough game with J.T. Barrett. I don't care that Ohio State lost as much as they did on the defensive side of the ball with Joey Bosa, Von Bell, Darren Lee. You know Urban Meyer recruits. And more importantly, you know Urban Meyer loves to come in as the underdog and where people don't feel his team has a chance. That's not going to be an easy, easy game September 17th in Norman, right? No, you're exactly right. I mean, Oklahoma is going to have to get the ball started early because that that Ohio State, TCU, Texas stretch is really going to be brutal. I mean, you got to be healthy and you need to be on a roll when you look at scheduling like that. So Oklahoma really is in a tough spot. They do have to come out swinging. Uh, they, they cannot afford a slip-up early against Houston because it can put them in a difficult position to recover from because that's going to be an uphill battle in that mid mid-season swing that they have. So, uh, a great opportunity for Oklahoma to make the effort to come out strong because uh, Bob Stoops, <laughs> if he doesn't come out with at least three and one out of those two games, out of those uh, first four games, he might, you know, that's when he'll find himself on the hot seat because the conversation will start to build momentum. The fan base will start to get antsy and the university will start to look around at why didn't we have success against these top tier opponents? Well, it can happen to anybody, but at the same time, you know, you're a tough program as well, Oklahoma. So I'm anxious to see how these uh, matchups play out simply because the coaches have a lot of pressure on them. They've got to develop the schedule in the off season to make sure that their guys are primed for these uh, season runs. They have some early tough opponents, and they have some tough opponents right behind that. So it's really a tough opportunity for the coaches to make sure that the guys are not only healthy and seasoned, but they're, you know, extremely ready to play in each of these different matchups because these teams are not the same. These teams have different strengths, whether it be defense or running the ball on offense. So you got to be ready as far as Oklahoma is concerned to face a, a multitude of different types of offenses and at the same time play in a few different environments. Nonetheless, the stage should never be too big for a Sooner. <laughs> Speaking of the Sooners now, we'll transition You talk about another matchup that's really, really intriguing because it pits Pac-12 versus SEC. You're talking about UCLA and Texas A&M. I mean, it's a great matchup, week number one, because all eyes will be on Josh Rosen and Jim Mora. Now, they lost a lot in the tank from last year. They lose their big play wide receiver, Jordan Payton. They lose Paul Perkins. They're a big play running back. They On the defensive side of the ball, they lose defensive tackle Kenny Clark, and they lose middle linebacker Miles Jack, outside linebacker extraordinaire. That really was the heart and soul of that defense. Taking on Kevin Sumlin and Texas A&M, they've had a lot of turnover. They lost Kenny Hill. 
They they lost Kyle, uh, Kyle Allen. They lost Kyler Murray. I mean, the list goes on and on about the talent that they lost there. But they pick up two guys, which when you talk about Oklahoma, Texas A&M has Trevor Knight and Keith Ford on their roster this year. Trevor Knight, the former quarterback that, for Oklahoma that gave way to Baker Mayfield, and Keith Ford, a dynamic running back. He's a diminutive kid. He's not as big as Perline or, or Joe Mixon, but he, is, he can catch the ball out of the backfield on short to intermediate routes. He's a slashing type of running back that can catch the edge in the perimeter. This is a dangerous matchup for UCLA, but I want to get your thoughts about overall what Kevin Sumlin has done with the Texas A&M Aggies and how year number two with John Chavis at the helm of that defense should benefit this Aggie wrecking crew here. I don't lost Corey there for a second. Texas A&M last year, very, very disappointing season, 7-5 and five overall. I you look at what they – you look at what they did last year, 7-5 and five overall. They faced UCLA, Prairie View, Auburn this year, and Arkansas. Not going to be easy, to say the least, for Texas A&M. See if Corey's <laughs> back. Corey, are you with us? I got you, Joe. I was, I, I'm sorry about that. I was just thinking about that, the question that you asked me about Texas A&M. I think they're actually in a very strong position because they had a lot of controversy through the offseason when they lost those quarterbacks. And Kevin Sumlin has had that team really flying under the radar with all of the bad news that's been on the on the front end. They're really in a, in a much better position than most of us know because, just as you've already said, you know they have some transfers that have come in and have added depth to the program. And I think they're really in a strong position because this is the second year for John Chavis to really go ahead and strengthen that defensive unit up. And they have never been short playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. So this is a great opportunity for Texas A&M to really look at UCLA and try to take advantage of this uh, chance to beat up on a Pac-10 opponent, excuse me, a a Pac-12 opponent uh, early in the season. UCLA is really, I mean, they're on a roll right now. Coach Moore Jr. has a great quarterback in Rosen. He's a young kid going into a true sophomore season where he had success as a young freshman. So, UCLA is really on the cut, even though they lost a lot of talent as well. Both of these teams lost talent to the NFL. So, Joe, when I look at that, I call it a wash. I think they both recruit well. They both have great platforms and fan bases and uh, recruiting bases to pick from. Texas is obviously in the state of Texas, and Texas A&M has no shortage of talent that wants to come and play for them. And uh, the California kids all really look at UCLA as a great chance to go and compete for it. So I think it's really going to be a chance for the coaches to step up. Coach Sumlin and both Coach Mora really do a great job in game preparation. So this is a, this is the time where the coaches, again, are, are going to have to stand out as far as what they do to prepare the kids for the environment. These kids should understand how to play. They should know what the plays look like. They know what the calls are going to be. But you've got to be ready to play on that big stage, Joe. And I think, actually, Texas A&M is in a much stronger position, you know, not only because of what Coach Sumlin brings to the table, but I think that bit of controversy that they've had to face all season long, excuse me, all off season long, is going to be much better served for them as far as uh, preparing them for the next year. So I think it's really a great chance for A&M to go ahead and just get, get, get their ducks in a row and make sure that UCLA doesn't come in and surprise them with anything because that kid under center for the UCLA Bruins 
is going to do his best to throw the ball around the yard. They got a lot of talent regardless of who they lose to the NFL. They've got playmakers on the offensive side of the ball that are really going to look forward to trying to exploit an SEC defense. So whenever a team from the West comes and plays against a Southeastern Conference defensive unit, they want to do what they can to show that they can score points regardless of that opponent. So John Chavis does have a lot to show as a defensive coordinator to prove that he can slow down this young kid. And I believe UCLA wants to come in and, and make their mark as a team ready for the 2016 season. You're talking about a dynamic offense. I really like the way they played against Alabama. I know they had, they turned the ball over. They had three interceptions that re, were returned for touchdowns. But at one point last year in that game, they were down 28-20 to 20 and had the ball with a chance to tie that game. So I really feel this is a young team. I said they were 7-5 and five overall last year, 7-6. and six. They were 8-5 and five overall last year. But they have a dynamic wide receiver core led by Christian Kirk and Ricky Seals-Jones that are big play wide receivers along with Josh Reynolds. They're going to put some pressure on this UCLA secondary week number one. And make no mistake about it, Kyle Field will be rocking. This game is at home in Texas A&M. So, uh, you know, a cross-country trip for the most part. For UCLA, how does that affect the team you know, are they going to be acclimated? This is still a young team under Josh Rosen, and it's SEC Pac-12. You want to see that breakdown because it doesn't get better than this. But you look at what John Chavis did last year. I mean, they struggled to shut down the run consistently. They allowed 22 points per game, and they allowed 213 yards on the ground. You know that as well as anybody in these big ball games. If you can't stuff the run consistently, Especially in the SEC West, you're not going to win ball games. Uh, taking the next step, you're not going to go from eight to ten, or eleven wins if you cannot stuff the run. That's something that they didn't do last year, but they were very solid in the secondary. They only gave up 166 passing yards per game, and that's the one thing that John Chavis likes to do. He likes to put his corners out on an island. He likes to match them up on the outside, man to man. That gives him the ability to blitz quarterbacks and Rosen and Miles Garrett's a speed rusher. That's the matchup you want to see. Can can Rosen get the ball out of his hands quickly? Can he locate his wide receivers when John Chavis is dialing, dialing up the blitz in Kyle Field? I think it's going to be an important part because John Chavis is really going to do his, his best to put pressure on this quarterback. This is a guy – when you, when you talk about Rosen over at UCLA, he's a young man that really, like I mentioned, had that success. And just as you mentioned, he has the weapons, Joe. And these kids are going to come in not afraid to play against this SEC defense. So I, I'm, I'm very much excited about uh, taking a look at the type of pressure John Chavis is going to bring. I, I, I look at pressure from the middle, pressure from the edge, and I look at some, uh, some zone blitzing to really – uh, try to confuse that young kid. I, I know he showed a lot last year, but as a true sophomore, he's going to have to continue to show, and teams are going to continue to pressure him. And it's going to start week one with Texas A&M because I understand that secondary is really chomping at the bit to try to get after a, 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 an aggressive signal caller like Josh Rosen. So I think it's a yeah. great matchup, Joe, primarily when you look at the quarterback versus the defensive coordinator. I'm I'm really excited about that matchup. Here's the team at Texas A&M, depending on how good Trevor Knight and Keith Ford are to that offense. Because last year they struggled with the progressions in the, in the quarterbacks. Make no mistake about it, they had a huge turnover. They lost Kenny Hill. He's now at TCU. They lost, like I said, Kyle Allen and Kyler Murray. But 
it's going to start, they need to start fast because you look at the success for 2016, it all hinges on the first month, really. Again, UCLA week one, then they play Prairie View, then they play Auburn at Auburn on the Plains. That's not easy, no matter what you think about the Auburn Tigers. To go into Auburn is still not an easy place to play. They do have another rivalry game, even though it is SEC. Arkansas, it's on a neutral field site in Arlington. Then out at South Carolina, Tennessee at home, at Alabama. They then get a break with New Mexico State at Miss State, Ole Miss at home, Texas San Antonio, and then LSU. So, really, you'll know where Texas A&M is by October 1st if they're 2-2 <laughs> two and two overall. You know, you might be happy with that, depending on what you're looking for out of the Texas A&M Aggies, but then is a guy that would be on the hot seat because I think it's not the success on the football field now. It's what has transpired off the field. We've seen uh, assistant coaches go after recruits where, you know, in the, about a week ago and a wide receiver coach or a quarterback coach said they, they had a verbal commit, and he said, if you're not loyal to this program, then we don't want you. And he rebutted his and refuted his, his comments. He took them off of Twitter. But you, you want to scratch your head and say, what the heck is going on over in College Station? They've had such a huge turnover in terms of the quarterbacks. Now you'll have coaching staffs and coaches calling out recruits. I mean, that's not how you really want to build up your program from, in terms of perception. I mean, what does that say to to potential parents and recruits that coaches are now calling out recruits before they even get on campus and decommit? To be honest, it's disappointing, Joe. You know, when I look at that situation at Texas A&M where the assistant coach is on social media doing what he uh, can to call out a recruit because of what he calls loyalty, it's really disappointing. You know, it, in my eyes, it looks like the coach stepped down to the same level that we do not want the kids step down, step, stepping down to. It's a, uh, it's a slippery slope, Joe. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's again <laughs> extremely disappointing because you would hope that a coach, that a that a grown man would have a little bit more wherewithal than to make that kind of statement on that platform and not to understand the circumstances or the repercussions that are going to come behind it. You can't recruit to that. I mean, you, you, I think we all saw there were a couple of guys that were committed to going to Texas A&M, and they've already made the decision to reopen their recruiting primarily because of the statements of that assistant coach, and he just put his head coach, Kevin Sumlin, in a very difficult position. That predicament Coach Sumlin is looking at right now, just as you uh, just as you mentioned, it's almost win or bust. I mean, if he's not competitive early, then his seat does get hot, primarily because not not just what's done on the field, because they have not been a disappointment on the field. They had a few struggles last season. But Texas A&M is a strong program, and they're going to continue to do well regardless of who's on the field or who's at the helm. So that's not going to be the issue. But when you consider all the offseason banter, uh, the transferring in and out, and at the same time the, uh, the, the bit of controversy on the staff with the coach, um, it, it really does put, again, a bad taste in your mouth, not only as a fan but as a guy that might consider A&M as a school that you want to go to. These young kids see all of these things on social media, so – very disappointing to see that a grown man would step down to that level to try to make a point when really that was not the place to do it. You, that's a conversation you might want to have face-to-face with your players who are already in the fold behind closed doors 
and not on the Internet. So poor decision-making by a, a, an assistant coach. Uh, I'm sure he's learned a lot from it. But going back to your initial question, Joe, that does uh, make the leash a little bit tighter on the entire staff and Kevin Sumlin. That's not going to give any le- leverage or leeway if you lose ball games and you've got an offseason uh, looking the way it looks uh, recently. So I don't know, Joe. I mean, I think Texas A&M is strong enough. I think the program and the staff and the players, I think they are strong enough to really come up out of this situation and, and make it a positive learning experience. But if you lose games early in the season and if, you know, Trevor Knight and these transfers don't don't work out and don't have a chance to step up and we really feel the impact of losing Kyle Allen and Kyler Murray, it, it, it's going to show not only – on the field, but in the administration. They're going to have to make some tough decisions because this is a ship led by Kevin Sumlin, and regardless of the mistakes made by him or his staff or players coming in and out, it always goes back to the top, and that's something he's going to have to answer to, but only if he doesn't win ballgames. And I go back to Tom Herman, and I'll say, hey, come, we're family. Where, where we love each other. Because when they go out on recruiting, this is what they tell parents. We'll love your son. We love him like he's our own. This is what we want. And then you have an assistant coach. The kid's not even part of the program yet. And you're calling the kid out. It's got to hurt future recruiting no matter how successful you are. If they go 12-0 and this year, it's great. But if you're a parent, you, you, you're going to say, well, you know what, if it's between Texas A&M and Alabama, I, you know, I know Nick Saban, I haven't heard that when Nick Saban calls out recruits like that or anybody on his staff. So it's more of a professional organization, and it is a university. So that's the only thing I'll say is it all comes back to Kevin Sumlin, whether he knew about it or not, because he's the captain of the ship. You know that the head coach is responsible for everybody trickle-down effect, and if somebody on his staff steps out of line, well, it doesn't matter if he knew about it. He still is responsible because he is the captain. So uh, you don't want to see that. I mean, you don't want to see that out of the, out of the school or the university. People within power and administration and where parents are sending their kids to an institution not only to play football but to learn. So that's the, that's the thing I think that I hate to see, and you hope that they get it cleaned up against a solid opponent in week number one against UCLA. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that plays out because I don't think it'll be an easy game. I could be a shootout when you look at it from a football standpoint. You look at tech, you look at Texas A&M, I mean, offensively, they could be prolific. They could have one of the most dynamic offenses in the SEC, but you look at UCLA slate this year, Texas A&M, then they follow that up with Tony Sanchez and UNLV on the road at BYU. Then they then have to play Stanford, Arizona, at Arizona State, at Washington State with Mike Leach. That's not easy. Utah and Kyle Whittingham, they lost that game last year in, in Utah. They get Utah at home this year. At Colorado, at home against Oregon State, USC and at California. So, I mean, this is not going to be an easy road for Jim Moore Jr., Either, uh, when you look at their schedule, I don't think it's easy. I think it, it, it's a make it or break a game. If they can get through Texas A&M, they might be 5-6-0 and by the time they meet Washington State. And then you have to see how uh, the team responds defensively. It all hinges defensively on UCLA, but we'll see how that plays out a little bit later, week number one. Let's turn our attention to the last half of the show. 
great battle, and I've spoken about it. Notre Dame and Texas, I mean, this is an intriguing battle, Corey, because it's a rematch of last year. Notre Dame won that matchup 38-3. to They dominated Texas and Charlie Strong, a very young, inexperienced team. Is Notre Dame a team, because of the quarterback play of Malik Zaire and Deshaun Kaiser, is this a team that could be possibly a playoff caliber team in the 2016 season? Notre Dame has the opportunity every year to be a playoff caliber team for a couple of different reasons, Joe. And I got a lot of buddies that went to Notre Dame, so I'm going to go ahead and have a conversation with those guys while I got a chance. As I mentioned, Notre Dame is going to have that chance for a few reasons. Number one, they always recruit well. They have five-star guys falling out of the stands. They, They have no problem going into any state and pulling that best kid out of there and making him a part of the fighting Irish. So Notre Dame has that advantage in recruiting. Notre Dame also has that advantage in scheduling. Notre Dame is going to have a championship caliber schedule year in and year out, regardless of their conference affiliation or their independent status, because they do have an opportunity to build that schedule every year. They dictate their own opponent, and they're going to make sure they have a chance to win uh, a championship because they're not going to they're not going to create a cupcake schedule. And that's one thing that you have to tip your cap to. Notre Dame is going to play an opponent every week that's really looking to try to win a championship. And at the same time, the last thing, when you look at recruiting and the scheduling, internally, they've got the players to win it all. Um, not many teams can, can have the discussion the way Notre Dame can about the quarterback situation. The only team that was really close last year or maybe even a step above was Ohio State because they had three. And Notre Dame is going to have at least two in the fold every year that are going to be excellent, not just play callers, but play makers. And I think that's what, that's what separates Notre Dame right now. They do have a chance to really come into Texas and, and put on another show. This is an important matchup for the Longhorns. Again, they, they lost the matchup uh, in, a, in a very bad way last year. I mean, that was a complete whitewash when they faced Notre Dame last year. It really uh, helped to propel Notre Dame's season and get uh, the quarterback situation settled. And it also showed some weaknesses on the Charlie Strong side of that Texas football. So I think they both learned a lot as programs, but uh, I, I don't think Texas is going to take a back seat in this game uh, in any case. I think Texas has always been what Texas will always be. They're a strong university with a very prideful fan base, and they want to come out and hit you in the mouth every year. So they're, they're looking at this matchup uh, at, at, with some get back. They want to turn around and see if they can try to correct some wrongs from last year. Uh, Charlie Strong may not be on the official hot seat, but his seat's been warm ever since he got down to Austin. He's really been under a lot of pressure. He handles it well. Uh, He speaks very well as far as how he handles his program and his players. But right now I think that fan base is looking for a lot more production on the field. So it's a really tough time to be a Longhorn because the main thing they need, uh, they've got players, but these players need to step up, especially on defense. And make some plays. You know, that Texas secondary is really what's going to be the important factor because they like to match up and do a lot of man-to-man coverage and do a lot of blitzing in that front seven. But you got to have playmakers in that defensive backfield in, in order to take those type of chances. I think Charlie Strong is looking to make that transition a lot quicker this season. I think he's looking for his defensive line to continue to develop. And they're going to have to put pressure on those quarterbacks at Notre Dame because if they have any time, Again, they got a five-star guy pretty much at every position. It's just do you know his name. And you don't want to learn that guy's name on a Saturday when you're facing him and uh, he's going up and down the field on you. So I think this is really an intriguing matchup, two uh, very tenured institutions, two great 
learning institutions and two very prominent college football universities. So I'm excited to see how uh, the coaches match up. Again, Joe, in the early parts of this season, uh, these coaches are really going to be so important because not only do you have to get your players physically ready, but the mental aspect of playing in these big games, that's the, the beauty of the scheduling that we brought up in the beginning of the show today. Each team is playing a championship-caliber schedule. You might hear that one uh, small school on everybody's resume, but you mentioned what Texas A&M is faced with. You mentioned what UCLA is faced with. Uh, Notre Dame and Texas in the very same spot. They've got some tough conference matchups, and this out-of-conference matchup is just going to help to strengthen the schedule of the team that wins. But if you lose these type of matchups, it really puts you in a tough spot because you can't have any more for the rest of the season. I think Texas is really going to do their best to come out, Joe, and fight hard against Notre Dame because last year they were not just embarrassed, but they don't feel like they put uh, their best foot forward. And and this is going to be a great chance for Charlie Strong to help dictate his season. And and this is the calling card against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish that he really wants to do that with. So a great great opportunity for both teams, and I'm – I'm, I'm trying to figure out which defense, Joe, is going to be uh, really ready to step up and stop these offensive attacks. Yeah, you mentioned defenses. I mean, that's what – when you look at Notre Dame, you, you mentioned that they were right there. They lost three games last year by a total of 20 points. They lost to Clemson, they lost to Stanford, and they lost to Ohio State. Three games by 6.6 points per game. And those three teams had a combined record of 38-4 and four overall – or 904 winning percentage. So they were right there. They played Clemson close. They played Stanford close. They didn't play Ohio State as tough as many would have liked to see. I know they were in the game, but they trailed for start to finish. And realistically, when you look at the struggles defensively for Notre Dame, they allowed 175 rushing yards per game. But in their three losses, they allowed 216 rushing yards per game on the ground. They gave up 212 rushing yards to Clemson. They gave up 153 to Stanford, and they gave up 285 to Ezekiel Elliott and the Ohio State Buckeyes. You know as well as anybody in big big games, Charlie Strong wants to run the football, and that's the thing. I mean, when you look at Texas overall, they lost seven games in 2015. They were outscored in those seven games, Corey, by a margin of 273 to 146. I mean, it wasn't even close. And defensively in those seven games, they gave up 230 rushing yards per game. They gave up 222 passing yards per game and a total of 33 touchdowns. They gave up 15 on the ground and 18 through the air. Uh, You cannot do that in big games. So which defense will step up in this ballgame week number one? The game is in Austin. So you're going to get Texas's best effort week number one. You know that. Exactly. The, the question I want to ask you is, two, it's a two-fold question. Notre Dame loses Will Fuller and Chris Brown. They're two big play wide receivers. They accounted for 72% of the production. They had 110 receptions for 1,855 yards and 18 touchdowns. Do you feel like it's a quick fix? They have guys that are coming back that have experience. But how big of a factor is it when you lose your two top leading wide receivers? And then you you look at Texas. They have a new offensive coordinator in Sterling Gilbert. But really, they don't have the personnel from a quarterback perspective. They have Gerard Hurd and and Tyrone Swoops, mobile quarterbacks. 
but that group only passed for 145 passing yards for a game last year. They have a, a five-star freshman recruit quarterback in Bouchelle, but will you turn to him when the season's on the line, or do you want to go to a quarterback with a little bit more experience? So it's a two-fold question, but I want to get your thoughts about both Notre Dame's deficiencies and Texas's deficiencies from an offensive perspective. I'll start with Notre Dame, Joe. I mean, just, you know, I'm a wide receiver by nature. I played the position. I love the position. I enjoyed it. And when you look at what Notre Dame lost last year at the wide receiver position, so much production, so many touchdowns, catches, yards, even the blocking on the perimeter, I don't think it's going to matter much. I think it does not matter much at all because what they bring back is the catalyst. They have a quarterback. That's the most important part, Joe. They've got a signal caller who can deliver the ball. Yes, we all at wide receiver positions, we all feel like we're the difference maker. We all want to be the guy who catches that pass and takes it 80 yards and be the difference. But if you don't have a kid who can get you the ball, I don't care how good you are, it does not work the same. And that was the biggest advantage Notre Dame had last year. And unfortunately for Texas, to answer your second question, that's going to be the biggest advantage Notre Dame has this year. You cannot expect an incoming freshman uh, to play at the University of Texas and, and, and have success against Notre Dame week one. That's going to be the toughest environment that kid has ever seen. And I don't anticipate Charlie Strong putting any young man in that position where he's going to get beat up against some of the top-tier athletes in the nation. That's, that's, a, that's a tough call to make. But look, just looking at what Texas is faced with, Joe, that's the main reason this defense on Texas is really going to have to step up because of the questions they've got at quarterback, because of the inexperience and uh, the lack of productivity, because of the nature of the Texas offense to really want to establish that running game, they're going to want to have to uh, chew up some of that clock before they unleash a passing attack. I think Notre Dame will have to force Texas to throw the ball by putting eight, nine guys in the box. And even after maybe a quarter or two of that type of play, that physical football play, Texas might still run the ball and have to make that adjustment in the second half simply because they don't have a veteran under center, and Notre Dame does. Notre Dame is going to come out with the complete playbook available to them, and that's going to be an advantage. That defense on the Texas side of the ball is going to have to be extremely ready. That's the main reason that secondary is going to have to play on their toes because that defensive front seven is going to have their hands full. They're going to see the counter trade. They're going to see the read option. They're going to also see a spread formation set and some reverses deep ball, they'll see the entire gambit that that Notre Dame offense is going to have to give. Meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, that football game is going to be played in the phone booth. Uh, Notre Dame is going to box that thing up, and Texas is really going to run against the wall and try to break through because that's their best advantage. That's their best opportunity. They're a strong team, but they really haven't proven much on the perimeter. So they're going to have to be uh, extremely proficient and execute uh, between the tackles and try to find some matchups on that line where they can possibly win and, and create lanes for the running backs. It's going to be tough quarterback play for the Texas Longhorns, Joe. They're going to they're going to see a lot of blitzing and a lot of mixes in the coverage, and if they don't have a running game to help cushion that blow, then that night's going to get long real fast. On the other side, Notre Dame's in a great spot, Joe, a really great opportunity because they have the signal caller, and he's going to continue to move that offense uh, to the best of his abilities because he understands uh, Texas may struggle scoring points. That's a great point. And everybody said, well, Sterling Gilbert's here. He was the offensive coordinator from Tulsa. I think they paid – I mean, they flew out on a plane 
to get this guy because Texas needed an offensive mind at the, at the, at the offensive coordinator position. I got that. But it's a new system. And you have Gerard Hurd, you have Tyrone Swoops, which are mobile quarterbacks, and now people are saying, well, go to Bootsell, the freshman. I don't see that. Gerard Hurd is hurt. We don't know how hurt he, that he sat out the last two weeks of spring. Here's what I can tell you, though. Charlie Strong wants to run the football. You're right, Corey. The two games that they dominated, Oklahoma and Baylor, they were low-scoring games. They held Oklahoma and Baylor to 17 points apiece, and they scored in the area. They scored 24 against uh, Oklahoma and 23 against Baylor. That's the type of game Charlie Strong wants to play. He doesn't want to play a 50-49 to game or a 45-44 to game like he played against California just because he has the offensive coordinator, he still wants to pound the rock and work off a of play action. I'm telling you, I watched him at Louisville. That's what he wants to do to control the tempo of the game. So I think Texas fans are off. If you're expecting this wide-open attack in 2016, <laughs> you know, I mean, that could be a dangerous, dangerous recipe, that, that especially week one. And you mentioned Gershon Kaiser. They also have Malik Zaire. So, I mean, God forbid anything happens in quarterbacks. Exactly. Your game has two signal callers that they can go to that Brian Kelly is confident about. So, I think exactly. this is a tough matchup for Texas week one, but the hot seat will be hot because I'm sure the fans, <laughs> week number one in Austin, they have nothing better to do but talk about football all summer long, Corey. This is going to be front and center stage from June 1st through September. You know what, Joe? I, I agree. This is really what uh, the season is all about. And just going back to what you mentioned, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing these matchups. I hope uh, Texas is ready. I think that fan base is looking at the new offensive coordinator kind of the way Alabama was looking at Lane Kiffin when he came into the fold. But that expectation is going to have to be tempered a little bit. I think they, at best, Texas can hope to be like Alabama, run the ball strong, use play action, because they've got a tough one in week one. Incredible. It should be a very intriguing battle. Corey and I are just talking and, and scratching the surface of college football. This is what it's all about. I mean, we're going to be delving into these games in greater detail. We'll be talking about the SEC front and center stage. We'll be talking about Georgia, North Carolina. Some opening lines out in Vegas have already instilled Georgia as a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the North Carolina Tar Heels. Game is played in Atlanta. It's a home game for the Bulldogs. They need to start fast. But we'll talk about this as the weeks progress. This is what it's all about, Corey. For Corey Allen, I'm Joe Lisi. For our great sponsors of the show, SixShades.com and Anton Alexander, AlexanderAnton.com. Check us out all season long. We'll be with you next week. Have a great weekend, everyone. I can't wait for kickoff. Go dogs. Sarah figured out that by switching to Metro PCS, she gets two free smartphones. Your barbecue ribs are the best. Take the rest home with you, Sarah. Just like she figured out that by visiting her in-laws, she doesn't have to cook for the rest of the week. 
you too figure it out. Get two free 4G LTE smartphones from top brands like Samsung and LG after instant rebate when you switch. Metro PCS, wireless, figure it out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included. See store or metropcs.com for details and terms and conditions.